Turn me in Second Peter, chapter one, ten through fifteen. While you find that, I've titled this "Stirred, Not Shaken." <laughs> Peter wants to stir up our hearts and minds as believers. He does not want us to be shaken by false teachers or declining culture. It was true in the day this epistle was written. It's true in our day as well. That there are those who would have a false gospel, and we can certainly see culture declining. But Peter does not want us to be shaken by that. We are forgetful creatures. We tend to read things, know things, and then quickly forget them. And I think, well, I know the Lord knows how we are. Repetition was part of the Old Testament. It was very much present. The six days of work, the day of rest, to remind them to depend upon the Lord. The Old Testament structure of life was laid out by God for his to remind people. The feasts were all done with purposes to remind the participants of the deliverance that the Lord has made, to remind them of his promises, his provisions in the covenant. They were to have the Feast of Booths where they were to remember that they were soldiers. They were not, um, they'd been called by God to a land. So, that is present in our passage today as well, that Peter wants to stir us up, but he also wants us, he knows that we are forgetful. He wants us to remember. Complacency is a dangerous place for Christians. We have to be growing. There is no sitting still. There is no standing place. We have the responsibility to pursue holiness in our lives as believers. So for that reason, we will be, or should be. Peter's concern for these churches and for us is to be growing and fruitful, not stunted and ineffective. In verses 8 and 9, he said, For if these qualities are yours and increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. The knowledge of the Lord is to not just something that we hold in our head, it is to affect our hearts and cause us to change. We are not to forget what we have confessed and believed. Our testimony is important to remember what Christ called us from and to, and it is to take the objective truth of salvation and make it the subjective experience of your life. In other words, faith has to be lived out. So with that said, let's deal with, we have two therefores today. Two therefores in quick succession. We're going to begin at the first one. Would someone read verses 10 and 11? Therefore, brothers, uh, 
be all more diligent to confirm your calling and election, for if you practice these qualities, you will ne never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance to the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. First thing I'd point out to you is Peter addresses us as brothers and sisters in Christ. Peter the Apostle, who saw the glory of the Lord, who walked with the Lord both pre-incarnate and after-incarnate, but he sees us as brothers and sisters. There's no Peter the Pope speaking down the masses. This is Peter the Apostle, who is a brother with us. Peter concludes the list of qualities with an urgent push. Be all the more diligent. And from what I read and studied, this word is related to the word in verse 5 of make every effort. So Peter at the beginning of this said, make every effort, for this reason, make every effort to supplement your faith. And he gives all the qualities there. And at the end, he says, be all the more diligent. The evidence of our calling and election is shown in the energy that we put forth to confirm our calling election. We labor as if all depends on us while acknowledging that it is God who works in us for his good will. Think about, and the pastor alluded to this not long ago, where Paul said, I worked harder than the rest. What was Paul working for? Not his salvation. Salvation is clear, but Paul was working to work out the faith, to work out what God had put in him. And that is what we are to do. J. Vernon McGee put it this way. The security of the believer is objective. We can look at scripture and see what Christ has done. It is something that cannot be disturbed, or to use my title, something that can't be shaken. However, your assurance can be disturbed or shaken by the life you live. If your life is not lived in sincerity and truth, you are bound to lay on your bed at night and wonder, have I really been born again? Lack of assurance comes from a life that doesn't match what Christ has called us to. We have to work out what God has put in us. As James 2, 14 through 17 said, I thought this was, had the same emphasis that Peter is trying to get across to us here. When he says, Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. James says, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or a sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warm and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? Can that faith, so faith itself, 
So faith itself, by itself, let me start. So also faith by itself, if it does not work, have works, is dead. The same emphasis there that when we trust Christ as Savior, we are created in him with a new heart. But the evidence of that new heart is shown in what changes we make in our life, how our conduct is. When Peter is stressing these, these things that he says, it's not for rote religious activity. But those disciplines do create in us, when God works in our heart, changes. In other words, it's important to read your scripture daily. But don't get in the habit of saying, if I don't read my scripture daily, God is not going to bless me. That is not what this is about. But disciplining ourselves, putting our heart on the right track, is how God uses his word to work in us. Does this make sense? We do not work for our salvation. We have a Savior who said it is finished, John 19.30. But we are, however, to work out what the Lord has put in us. Philippians 2.12. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. We are not working for our salvation. But we are working out our faith in God's purposes in our life. We have a responsibility to pursue holiness as believers. We are not saved for, uh, to just sit. I, I had to think about the, uh, or caused me to think about the um, parable of the master and the talents. The master gives talents, gracious gift that he gives to his servants. What are they supposed to do with them? What does he expect? To use them. And which servant is not blessed? The one who took what the Lord had given and did nothing with it. He put it away. God saves us for a purpose. The people that were blessed were the ones that did what their master did. They took risk. They put it out for purposes. They used it, and it multiplied. Peter wants us to be fruitful. Peter writes to those who have obtained a faith with equal standing of ours by the righteousness of God our Savior. That's from the first verses. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. He has granted us his great and precious, uh, his very, he has granted us his precious and very great promises. He's given us all that we have need of. But if we don't use it, that's not active faith. In fact, we have to wonder if someone doesn't use those things, are they really trusting in Christ? Have they only made an ascension here? but not here. Because if it doesn't affect us, 
that doesn't create change in us. You have to ask, are you truly believing in what God said? Even so, we must be all the more diligent to confirm our calling and election. And Peter tells us if we make that effort, if we are diligent to practice these qualities, there is a blessing. Verse 11, For in this way there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the kingdom of God, of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That richly provided is akin to, there's almost like a, um, a beginning and an end, a capstone here of his divine power granting to us all things and then him providing richly for us an entrance. So if we make that effort, one, he says, I didn't pick up the last part of verse 10. If you practice these qualities, you will never fall. Now, when Peter says fall there, that can't be, it can also be, in some translations, have stumble. Perhaps that's a better way to think of it, because the fall that Peter is talking about there is not a, a fatal fall. We stumble in many ways, or we all stumble in many ways, James 3, 2. What will not happen is stumbling and falling never to rise. Peter knows about stumbling, doesn't he? Peter often tripped over his own words. But, and this was highlighted in the uh, um, Truth for Life earlier in the week, there was a comparison uh, as it talked about Peter and Judas. Both failed Christ. Judas in betraying Peter in denying. But what was the difference? One thing that was different is the Lord said he had prayed for Peter. Peter, Satan desires to sift you, but I have prayed for you. They had both walked with the Lord. Both had seen his miracles. Both had done, eaten with him. But yet, one did not have a changed heart. Yes, but one sorrow led to what? Despair and death. The right type of sorrow led to repentance and life. It is not a fatal fall, it is a stumbling. We all stumble, but we confess our sin, we grow in grace and knowledge. Again, that's working out our salvation. It's um, objectively, you may be married. You have a, a marriage certificate. You went through a ceremony. You got pictures. But where does the real part of marriage come? It's working out two people living together. It's that act of rubbing together. Christianity is not lived alone. It is working out in community with each other. It's loving each other in spite of being unlovable sometimes. 
Peter also tells us that we will gain an entrance into the eternal kingdom of God. It will be richly provided for you. In the Gospels, there is both a present and a future aspect of the kingdom of God. What is here on earth and then what we look forward to in eternity. And I think both apply here. Walking in the light of the gospel, we have fellowship with other Christians and with our Savior. And one day, when he either returns or calls us home, we will walk in that eternal kingdom where Christ is the light. So when Peter says, you will be richly provided for you an entrance, I think it's both here presently and obviously future. And how near to this was Peter's heart, as he knows, he'll tell us later on, that he knew death was soon for him. The Lord had revealed to him that he would be dying soon. Again, it is clear that it is not our efforts and our performance that provide these things. It's richly provided as a gift from God through Christ. Uh, as he said earlier, through ours by the righteousness of God and Christ, of our God and Jesus Christ, Savior. It is the Lord who graciously and richly provides by the righteousness of God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. So that's the first therefore. And I think that therefore looks back to everything that, that was back early, or that I covered, the standing that we have in faith, the divine power that he has granted to us, his precious promises and power. So let's look at the next verses. Would someone read 12 through 15? Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. I think it right, as long as I am in this body, to stir you up by the way of reminder, since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me, and I will make every effort so that after my departure, you may be able at any time to recall these things. Thank you. That's our second, therefore. Therefore looks back again to what he had just told us. He wants to remind us Peter's love and concern for these churches and those that would come after his death is evident. The legacy that Peter wants to leave is that he pointed them to Christ, their hope and their salvation. Peter doesn't want to make a name for himself. He wants to record these things so that they can recall what he taught them about Christ. Peter knows his death is near. Again, J. Vernon McGee called this Peter's swan song, this whole book, because Peter knows that he's about to die. And I think it is true. He points out, think about Jacob. When Jacob knew that he was about to die, what did he do? Called his sons together. And what he points out is that when some people are near death, the clarity that comes about and there is a willingness to say things that are hard sometimes and difficult to speak truth. 
Think about what Peter, or excuse me, think about what Jacob told some of his sons. Moses did likewise when he was about to depart. Called them, reminded them of the covenant, told them what the promises were, what the curses were. Joshua, likewise. So there's a precedent for what Peter's doing here, I think, in that he's calling them back and reminding them. And probably Peter, as he sees how the world is changing, is fearful for the churches, for the believers. He doesn't want them to fall away. I shouldn't say fearful. He was concerned. That's a better way to put it. Peter knew that the Lord was in control, just as we know that the Lord is in control. But sometimes we forget that. We should not be fearful. We should be concerned. And we should be diligent, as Peter tells us to be. At the start, I said again, we are forgetful creatures. Think about this. Verses that were once committed to memory fade if they're not rehearsed occasionally. You found that to be true? Maybe verses that you learned in Awana or that you committed to memory at one time and then you get away from them, you don't use them, and you're going, oh, I used to know that. There's skills that we learn that if we don't use them, they're forgotten. And think about maybe math skills that you learned in school, but you don't use them. You run into it and you go, oh, I used to know that. Why is it important to go back and rehearse things? Because otherwise we forget. And I think the other thing, and Peter's going to stress this, is it is not new information. It is not a new gospel, not a new message. It's the old message, the old story that Christ died for us sinners had in need of a savior. And he sent his son to be a propitiation for our sins. We need to rehearse that often in our lives. Peter knows this. Paul knows this too. Listen to 1 Corinthians 15. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the words that I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. Think of Judas. 2 Timothy 2, 8 and 14. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, offspring of David, as preached in my gospel. Remind them of these things and charge them before God not to quarrel about words, which does no good, but ruins the hearers. At the close of this gospel, or this epistle, I should say, Peter writes, Take care that you are not carried away with error of lawless people and lose your own stability. Peter wants us to be stirred but not shaken. Stirring up our minds by way of recall, by way of remembering. And so Peter took steps. He intended to remind them here, even though that he knows that they know them, we forget these truths if they're not recalled. I think it is right as long as I am in the body to stir you up by way of reminder. 
since I know that the putting off of my body will soon will be soon. Our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me, and I will make every effort so that after my departure, you may be able at any time to recall these things. Aren't you glad that God, in his foreknowledge, gave us his word that we could recall these things? That we have them written down? Committing to memory is good, but having them written down where we can go back. But that brings you to the, the same thing that if we have them all written down but we never look at it, we never take time to learn it, it's of no avail. It's like a talent that you have but you don't use. You will not be blessed. Peter wants to remind us both then at the writing of this epistle and even now after his death. This has gone a whole lot faster than it did when I was going through it. The false teachers that we're going to encounter as we go farther into this are claiming knowledge of God, but they do not obey the word of God. In other words... They're saying they know about God, but it's not affected their conduct. In fact, they're saying we can behave in ways that are offensive. But because we know God, we're okay. There's no, they're, they're separating the body from the mind. Peter's message is that through the divine power granted believers... That knowledge, when applied, will produce lives that are being changed and conformed to the image of Christ. Not reformed. Reformed or reformation means that you're changing outwardly, but not necessarily changing inwardly. Transformation, transformed, means that you are changed. The behavior that you're doing is because your heart has changed not out of forced conscription. And again, I apologize. I am... Uh, I'm done. <laughs> this is what I have. Comments, questions, thoughts? Yeah. What, it seems to me, and maybe I, know, I'm, I look at this a little bit differently, but what do you think about Peter is... It certainly is applying it to everybody, but what do you think about the special call? Maybe he that is an apostle or a leader or a pastor, like this is what compels the pastor, the leaders, the teacher. Do you think that there's some in there that he's he's also pointing to himself that I'm an apostle, and this is what my my whole purpose is to keep reminding you of these truths. I think that is wholly true. What did Jesus say to him? Feed my sheep. What is Peter doing? He's feeding the sheep. I think we make it complicated sometimes. We think we have to have all this big drawn out, you know. But it seems like Peter's saying, I just need to remind you of the basic stuff. And I'm going to keep reminding you of that over and over and over because you're going to forget and I'm going to forget. And so, you know, we don't have, we don't go, sometimes we, 
we start moving apart and we don't come back to the basics. And remember, we got to hear those over and over again. I think there is very much the danger for pastors and teachers to try and make something that is interesting and holds the, the attention. And there's a danger that you miss the same old story. It's, it's the gospel. And if we, yeah, if we lose sight of that and we try and focus too much on what is pleasing, I think we can drift off into that. Any other comments or questions? Yeah, I think you're right. That's the, that's the driving force of Peter. That's the driving force of pastors to equip the saints for the work of the gospel. Again, we do not work for our salvation, but we are to work out our salvation. Our salvation means that we apply what God has told us in our lives. It affects how we relate to others. It affects how we do our work. It affects how we spend our money. It affects every aspect of your life. Or it should. And if it doesn't, then as J. Vernon McGee said, if your life doesn't match up to the gospel, you may question, am I saved? Where does that lack of assurance come from? And if you've truly trusted Christ, remember, he holds on to you. Just as Peter fell, but Peter didn't fall completely. The Lord had prayed for him. The intercessory prayer of the Lord for us. All right, I'll be done.